Are you ready to realize the true potential in your life and help others do the same? Get equipped to create a thriving future with the Secrets of Success podcast. Inspire others to live, lead, and work on purpose. And experience the joy of watching satisfaction and productivity come to life. And now, here's your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Welcome, SOS listeners. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, today's show, we have one of the most energizing entrepreneurs that we have ever had on the show, Joseph Snyder. Now, Joseph uh, really started as an entrepreneur young as a child, started his own lawn mowing business, then got into being a manager at a dealership uh, before the age of uh, 20-ish, and then he was flipping houses and real estate when he was 21. So when we think about success in life, uh, Joseph has really demonstrated that and he shares his experience, his insights of being a successful entrepreneur, also some uh, insights about some of the things that he would change and how he's grown and how he's developed. He now actually has a publicly traded company in the space that many of us are just learning about the details in blockchain. And so at the end of the show, uh, Joseph shares about how this whole concept of blockchain and what that technology is going to do is going to change the landscape of the world. It's sort of what the internet did to us uh, you know, 25 years ago. It's really Web 3.0 and how this technology will be impacting our entire life. He also shares really you know, insights on leadership and the importance of that. So it's very, very uh, telling, it's high energizing, or it's energizing, and I just really appreciate, um, you know, Joseph sharing uh, the insights that he has in the experience that he has as a su- young, successful entrepreneur. And one of the things that we uh, want to just encourage you is that, you know, he talks about leadership, and he talks about, you know, being connected and being connected as far as relationships, and and that as a leader, we really, it's that It's not just that we ask people to do things. We don't abdicate it, but we need to uh, delegate and then check in. So a lot of our tools will help you with that. If you want to improve your leadership, the leadership skills, we'll benchmark some of those tools. You know, our personality assessments, the values assessments, all of these come into play to help you make you a better individual and a better leader. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, today's guest is an extremely successful entrepreneur, and he's going to share his insights. And at the end of the show, he's also going to inform those of us who really don't know a lot about this concept of blockchain as well, and say, what is that? What does it mean? Because he's the CEO of a company that is responsible for that. In fact, it's publicly traded blockchain company. Uh, Lannister Holdings, plus his other holdings. Welcome to the show, Joseph Snyder. Joseph, welcome. Thanks to so much SOS. for having me. Great to great to be here. Thanks for having me on today. Well, I sure appreciate young, successful entrepreneurs. And what we like to do here at the show, Joseph, we'll get to all of your accolades as a CEO, et cetera, as we move through. But uh, you know, where did you grow up? What were some of your your background that brought you to where you are today? So, what's your history there? Yeah, you know, I was I was raised um, primarily uh, by my grandparents on some property in California, and so we had, you know, horses and and chores and <laughs> and um, and lots. So you had property. to work. So we had to work, you know. And uh, I think you know when you're a teenager, you look back on that, you kind of begrudgingly 
um, admit that it, it gave you some fine characteristics. But now that I'm in my late 30s, I don't know that I'm as young as I used to be, but um, now that I'm in my late 30s, you know, I look back on that time and it was really uh, formational and, and those work ethics um, definitely help. Um, you know, set, set us apart in terms of the results that we can get, you know, um, some For people sure. just, uh, just don't have that ability to dig deep and just go those extra miles. Well, there sounds Joseph that there's a little story behind here where you, you, uh, were raised by your grandparents. So the reason for that? Um, you know, it was, it was just one of those situations where, you know, for, for family reasons, um, you know, California was a, was a better place and there was a more stable environment there at the time. And, um, you know, we have, uh, we have great relationships with, with, um, our whole family, really. It's, it really is kind of an amazing network and we all do business together and everything else. But, um, my brother and I just kind of ended up there at the ranch and, uh, and, and, and grew up that way. Oh well. Wow. Now, what part of California were your grandparents located? Yeah, so we were we were primarily in Central California. The property is actually still out here, um, and so in uh, in the mountains north of Los Angeles, um, south of the south of the Central Valley in, in Los Angeles. So about ninety minutes from the coast, ninety minutes from the city, kind of a country environment, and um, and it was uh, it was a great place to uh, great place to learn and grow and and had kind of a small town feel, but still close enough to uh, major cities and airports, right? <laughs> of course, yeah. Far enough away, yet close enough to be... Yeah, and that, and that really started, yeah, and that really started my entrepreneurial journey. You know, I remember being uh, 11 or 12 years old and, and creating things and going door to door and selling them. And, and you know, um, uh, you know, I lived in, I lived in Fullerton for a little while and, and toward more, more in Los Angeles and, uh, you know, <laughs> end up with, um, probably 20 or 25 lawns on a lawn mowing route that, uh, that I had. And so, you know, wow. I've always been, um, have always loved the idea of entrepreneurship and, and of creation and, and that um, freedom that one gets from going out and, and crafting a way and crafting a, a result and, uh, and adding value that people are, are willing to uh, compensate you for. So how old were you when you were starting that lawn business? Yeah, I was probably in seventh grade, so it was probably 12 or 13. Well, and then obviously your grandparents supported you in that. Yeah, actually, at that point in time, I was living uh, down in Fullerton with, uh, with mom and some other folks down there. So, you know, we went back and forth, and sometimes it was just summers up with the grandparents and things like that. Um, we were, you know, at the time it was called homeschool. Nowadays we call it charter schooling. Um, and especially here in California, but, you know, uh, you know, we were, we were homeschooled, uh, primarily. And so, you know, we moved around with the family. I spent summers, um, on some farmland in Iowa working there. I spent time, uh, you know, with the horses in California. We spent time, um, in the cities, you know, uh, with, uh, some auto body shops and other businesses that our family had. So it was a very interesting way to grow up, but it was, it was very entrepreneurial. Our entire family has, is, you know, entrepreneurs and, and runs their own sort of operations in, in, in different places. So it was passed down. Now, Joseph, I'm just going to start, uh, stop the interview for a second. You're moving uh, uh, towards and away from your mic, so your sound levels ve- are very... Ah, okay. So, so if you can be consistent on that, that would be great for the editing purposes. Um, for Megan sure. Will, Megan will pull this out. For sure. So thanks, Joseph. Sorry uh, with that. So again, you have uh, this entrepreneurial spirit, and obviously that you just picked up on that. 
Yeah, you know, there was um, – and, and then, you know, fast forward to uh, my, my early, early 20s, and, you know, I was – I met my wife in, in, um, in California, and we were um, – we were doing, you know, we were, we were in our early twenties. She had a full-time job. I had a full-time job. I was a manager with a a Toyota dealership. And so we were both, uh, especially at that stage of life, um, quite, quite successful. You know, we owned our own house. We, we, you know, we took vacations, you know, combined, you know, we didn't have kids yet. Right. So we had these, um, these situations where we were, we were both working a lot, which was fine. We both have solid work ethics. And we had very, you know, very nice lifestyles. But I sat down when I was probably 21, and I knew that there was, um, you know, money to be made in real estate. I wanted to break in. I wanted to do my own thing. I wanted to get out of what I saw as this um, long-term grind of, you know, hey, pick a career path and go there and show up and put in your time and, and get your paycheck. And, and that never sat well with me as you might imagine. And mm. so I sat down at my kitchen table and I circled all the foreclosures in the newspaper and I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to get there. I just knew that there was money there. And lo and behold, there was, you know, I was able to, um, uh, through, I think luck and will and determination, you know, I was able to acquire a piece of property out of uh, a distressed piece of property, turn it around and, and make a profit on it. And I was able to replicate that over and over again. And that was my first, kind of adventure in formalized adult business. And, you know, at that point in time in my career... Now, I, just a, hang on one second, Joseph. Yeah. Did you say you were 21 when you did this? Yeah, 21. I think it was Whoa. 21. Now, hang on. 22. You said I was already a manager of a dealership, so I did automotive consulting for a decade. Sure. There are not many 21-year-old managers in dealerships. So let's just back up one step. How'd you get into that? Honestly, I, you know, I needed a job and um, it seemed like an easy way to make money, right? Just, you know, the product's already there. It's a high ticket item. And so I think when I was 18, I went into the car business and um, yeah, so I was, you know, three, three and a half years into the, into the business. And um, I had, you know, moved around the dealership operations uh, and I ended up leaving basically as, as the internet sales manager um, you know, because I was doing real estate and didn't, didn't need to work there anymore. Wow. Wow. So, uh, now you said, so you internet sales manager, managing your own portfolio, that whole, uh, item. So you're already into sort of technology and how that could be leveraged already. Yeah. In the, in the technology. And again, at this point in time, this is, you know, this is 2001, 2002, right? So, um, this is when everybody believed that the internet was going to kill the car dealership. And, you know, you have this entire spectrum of it. And so, you know, I was in a position, um, you know, my little brother, Chris, was, you know, already a a super nerd. He had already traveled the world by, um, you know, selling items that people have in video games and all kinds of crazy ways that that he made money online back in the teenage years. And so, you know, I had this idea that, you know, um, the internet wasn't going to kill the car business, that what was going to happen is people were going to use the internet to access the car business, but they still needed people on the ground to say hello and shake their hand and show them where the AC button is. Right. Mm. And so that belief um, led me to being proactive within our dealership ecosystem about the, that line of business. And ultimately what ended up, ended up happening is I was running a division that was um, triaging all of our internet access and, and inbound leads. 
and then you know matching them up with uh, with sales teams on our floor and and making sure that those interactions went smoothly and 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 everything else like that. So it was a it was a successful adventure, but you know when you flip a couple of houses and and make what you're making in a year and a month, it's it's not that hard to figure out which way you want to go. <laughs> Fair enough. Now Joseph, you know when we you know one of your podcasts that I listen to is around living fearlessly. Not many, I have a 23-year-old and a 22-year-old, so I get that. Not many 21-year-olds or 22-year-olds I know would go out there and say, listen, I need to find the money to flip a house. Where did you get the confidence to even pull this off? I don't know where that comes from. I know that I have it. Um, You know, I, I just know that there's personal power to whether or not something can be materialized and that the universe is a malleable reality that is uh, responding to the actions and the determination and the will that we deploy. And, you know, we formed Lannister with those ideologies, you know, our ideology around lifestyle by design, um, where we believe that as a remote work company, we have a better ability to allow our team members to live where they want to live and live how they want to live and work when they want to work as long as they can hit their deliverables. And that having lifestyle by design as a core ethos of our corporation and the way that we add value to our stakeholders, the way that we provide value to our employees, the way that we um, ultimately scale and, and distribute our operations is um, just as important, uh, if not more important long-term, than necessarily the code that we write today or the products that we deploy tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Well, I sure appreciate that mindset, Joseph, about you know how we value people. And if you can find the right virtual team, uh, how much more productive and fulfillment sort of element that comes out of that. Yeah, and there's, you know, the challenge for for me there as a person who was coming out of a managerial and organizational structure of my own accord, of my own building, um, that was that was office-based, right? Um, Chris and I built a risk management business over almost a decade, and we exited that a few years ago, and, and that was a, an, an office-based model, right? There was an office in Houston, there was an office in California, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and so you know, um, coming into uh, remote work, probably I think the biggest shift was for me personally on a managerial uh, and expectation, right? How do you inspect what you expect when nobody's sitting at a desk? And so those metrics change and those tools for inspecting what you expect change, but the result is, is really quite the same. You know, um, with Finding the right people is always a challenge, right? Whether or not you're putting people in an office or you're putting people in a remote work scenario, finding the right people is always a challenge. Um, we get the added benefit of not only looking for the right people, but also looking at people and saying, and as long as you deploy, as long as you hit deli- your deliverables, as long as you bring incredible value, um, you get to work whenever you want, wherever you want. You know, look, if you live in New York, keep living in New York. There's no reason for us to move you to Phoenix for us to be able to have uh, results because the systems and the tools exist now, mm. right? We're not faxing stuff back and forth. <laughs> we don't need to put people in a room necessarily. Now, there's a lot of camaraderie and there's a lot of things that go along with those interpersonal relationships and there's value to that. So we believe in physical, uh, you know, contact with people as much as is feasible, but really a, a few times a year will pretty much get that done. Mm. Awesome. Well, I sort of interrupted your flow there, Joseph, but I love where you uh, took us on that. I'm going to come back to that 
um, comment around virtual teams and that in what you inspect you get. But let's just kind of go back to this real estate. You have your first flip, um, you know, without necessarily going into all the details. How did you acquire the funding for that first house? Um, I didn't actually, I didn't actually have to. So, um, you know, I was able to go to the owner of the property and they were preparing to lose the property. And so we were able to make a deal with them to, um, assume the mortgage. And so I was able to assume the mortgage from the bank and pay, you know, a, a essentially paid off all of the delinquent payments and things and made a deal with their bank. Um, that allowed us to nice. uh, acquire ownership of the property without actually paying for the whole thing. So, you know, we had to invest maybe, I think we invested maybe, you know, forty or $50,000, maybe $40,000 um, with remodeling and cleaning things up and everything else that we did um, on, on that property. But, and that was, that was cash that, that we had, like I said, you know, my, my wife and I, um, we weren't married at the time, but we owned our own house and we had, you know, we had full-time jobs and all that, so it wasn't too big of a stretch. Mm, awesome. So then where did, you flipped the one, then where did it take you from there, Joseph, as far as what flipped you Flipped the one, flipped the second one, and um, was pretty sure I had a formula that worked. And again, remember, this is, you know, almost 2002, I think. So mm -hmm. who knows, that formula did work uh, until 2007. Um, and then it didn't work so well anymore, you know, and that's, and that's part of the learning curve, right? I had a lot of ego back then. I was very sure that I was brilliant. My results agreed with me and, uh, you know, that's a dangerous place to be in life. You know, you're very, uh, one, uh, I, I will say I, uh, I was, I think very disconnected. Um, I was chasing money and not fulfillment. And, um, you know, the, the problem with, overnight success is that you don't get those lead periods and those struggle periods to, to build into things and to grow into things and to build strong foundations. And so when 2007 came, uh, you know, we were not prepared for it. I was not forward thinking. And um, so really had to restart, had to restart. And, you know, in 2006, we, we started the uh, risk management business, which was a good investment, good move, but uh, was definitely not something that I saw myself working in for a decade. Um, but, uh, it, it, it was a, it was a blessing because it allowed us to come out of the real estate crash and, uh, focus on another business vertical and build something very cool. It allowed me to start playing with mergers and acquisitions. I started acquiring, um, some books of business and, and, um, and different lines of business in the uh, risk management, you know, world. And that exposed me to, um, the different types of finance that are available and these types of structures and the different types of deals that are available and, and how to, uh, how to bring, you know, disparate, um, you know, organizational structures and, and, and mentalities together and, and work through those challenges and those problems. So it was a real gift. Well, thank you for, uh, for that. And, you know, all of us have been through, well, most of us have been through issues somewhere along the way. Uh, so my question is what were, when you were talking about, you know, the characteristics and qualities that really weren't sustainable long term. And we can see that, you know, I have a son who is 23 and just in real estate um, as a realtor, not an investor. But um, what did you really learn in that transition in terms of character traits of who you are now versus what you were then and for the listeners of SOS to kind of uptake your learning 
during that transition over from that 2006-7 period of time till now? Um, you know, that's, there's so much. I mean, I'm a different person, right? And I think that that's, um, you know, I, there's, there's nobody that could have talked me into learning this, right? And I don't know if that's just me because, you know, I'm hard-headed and I need to get hit really hard to learn stuff. And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that, that uh, I'm more open-minded now. But I think that the primary takeaways for me were that ego is the enemy. And um, an open mind is far superior. You know, and if you can keep an open mind about everything, but, but really, you know, a well-laid plan is a document that outlines a way to fail, right? Because uh, no battle plan uh, survives first impact with the enemy, first contact mm-hmm. with the enemy. And in business or life, the enemy is just challenges. It's just complex sets of operational issues and or interpersonal issues that need to be worked out and or overcome or circumnavigated or right. And so, you know, by keeping an open mind about how we get where we're going and what steps end up being taken to get there while being very, very clear on where we are headed and why we're going there and why it matters and why it makes a difference is really, really powerful. And combining that with an understanding that um, as much as I have learned and as much as our team has learned and as much uh, knowledge and power and impact and experience is there, we all know nothing. And some brand new junior high school student could come in and, and say two sentences that change everybody's perspective and everybody's life and the entire world, right? Think Mark Zuckerberg in college 15 years ago, right? Mm. So um, uh, an open mind and a subdued ego of saying, I know what I know, I know what I don't know that I'm trying to learn, and I don't know what I don't know. And as long as I can connect with the fact that I don't know what I don't know, I have to be open to everything. Mm. Now, when you think about, thank you, Joseph, when you think about the people that you hire, when you come across individuals who are brilliant but still have a little of that ego edge, what do you do in that situation? Do you try to develop the person, point that out to them, or do you run, or what do you do? It's at the case-by-case basis. Um, I guess it would depend on the percentage. I mean, there's um, – I do not lack self-confidence. I try to subdue ego. There's a difference. Mm. Um, self-confidence is the ability to look at a situation and say, my power, my experience, my skill set can impact the outcome of this, and I have that power. That's self-confidence. Ego is saying – I'm awesome. I'm awesomer than everybody else. And you all should be so grateful that I'm so awesome. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. So for the folks with ego, we just choose not to deal with them because we don't have to. Mm. Um, I just don't have to at this stage of my life, at this stage of my career. I I don't need, I don't need something so badly from anybody that I've run into yet. And I'm open-minded to it being a possibility, but um, where, where we have to subject ourselves to that. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I think that's good advice for the people that are listening out there. There are lots of good people. Yes, it's some work to find the good people, just like anybody else. At the same time, you don't need to subject yourself to this ego mindset into your culture. Yeah, because it's poison, right? Um, You know, great 
um, uh, I, I guess, how would I say this? Like, great, legendary, um, high-burn sales teams um, are all ego-driven. Right, they're very masculine. They're they're you know they're <laughs> and um, and that's that's a thing. I just choose not to think that that's a thing that we need. Um, I think that we can get the results while being inclusive. I think we can get the results while being diverse. I think that we can um, have a phenomenal impact and an outsized ROI by um, being as neutral as possible when it comes to um, gender or race or, you know, things like that. And really Mm. look at, are these people passionate? Are they connected? Do they care? And are they willing to work? And, you know, uh, egotistical people aren't really drawn to that kind of an ideology. So it kind of works itself out. Mm. Mm. Well, thank you, Joseph, for that. And by the way, couldn't agree more that, um, you know, you have legislation in California now saying you have to have this kind of diversity on your board, et cetera, et cetera. But really, in the end, you thought it would just be people who love merit. It doesn't matter their background and who they are. Um, Merit and and like values is who you want to have on your team. So you develop this risk management. Now, did you stay in the real estate or did you just divest yourself of it or what did you do there? We've, we've always been in, in real estate. Um, our family has, you know, a real estate brokerage in Arizona, um, as well as some property management work there. Um, uh, lots of real estate investments. I, I don't know that we would ever be out of real estate. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's not something that we stayed in as a, uh, the, the, the real estate development and, and investment and, and property acquisition and property flipping businesses, uh, were not something that we continued on for, for staffing and, and all those sorts of, of things moving forward because the market just wasn't there to support them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, however, there was some great deals to be had, you know, 2009, 2010, especially around Phoenix and Vegas. Um, and so we, we, you know, we took some, we, we, we took some shots there and, and had some opportunities, which was nice, but, um, you know, we focused on building out businesses and, uh, you know, with the risk management business really came the opportunity for Chris to come in and build a technical team that could deploy solutions and deploy digital strategies, uh, which include both software and, uh, apps and tools and marketing um, within these within within these industries in an environment where we were already generating revenue, where we had a known profit margin, where we knew what our cost of goods were and and what uh, what the impact would be, and so we were able to kind of incubate our own you know technology and digital experiences throughout that process, um, and that's probably you know aside from all of the other work that Chris has done and the degrees that he's gone and gotten and all these other kind of things. Um, was the uh, the bedrock for how we came out and did consulting with those teams for a couple of years and then formed Lannister uh, out of those ideas. Mm. And we'll get to that in a few minutes as far as what you're doing with the holdings and the blockchain side here in a moment. So when we think about, Joseph, your experience as an entrepreneur and then also as a leader, so let's start with an entrepreneur. There are people that are listening. They maybe want to start their own business. They Maybe they have a side business and they have another job as when you were maybe at the dealership and then flipping a house. What are your recommendations to those individuals out there or advice or wisdom around being an entrepreneur? 
Um, that's a good question, man. I think first and foremost, it would be that it's harder than you think. So be prepared for everything to pay half as much and take twice as long. Um, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, you know, having barriers to entry creates value on the other side of entry. You know, mm -hmm. if it was easy, everybody could do it. Um, the second thing is, if it's a side hustle, um, be honest about it being a side hustle. Be honest with yourself about it being a side hustle. Respect it, honor it, dedicate time to it, but don't forget that it's a side hustle. You know, if I could go back and teach myself one thing about real estate back then, it would have been to treat it like a lottery ticket and not a business. Um, and that would have made a massive difference in the overall results, right? Um, in my mm -hmm. opinion. So, you know, there, there are those things, you know, I probably, uh, would say read, read the obstacle is the way by Ryan holiday, read good leaders, ask great questions by John C. Maxwell and prepare to work 80 hours a week for free for a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, and being an entrepreneur, I get it. I agree. There is uh, a lot more dedication uh, needed than in a lot of cases. Uh, and yeah, and Maxwell's work is, is awesome as well. When you think about, and thank you, Joseph, when you think about leadership, what are some of the things that now you're, you know, you have this virtual teams too. What have you learned and what would you share with the audience on that? That's actually, that's actually a great question because I think that ties back into ego. You know, when I was um, the most financially successful and the least connected in my life um, was a point in my life where I thought I could just pay people to solve problems. You know, well, oh, that's it. Okay, we'll just hire somebody and then they'll, they'll fix it. And that's not leadership. That's abdication, you know. And so with, with that realization, with that truth, um, now I understand that leadership is being willing to do everything that needs to be done, no matter whether or not people are picking up their side, no matter whether or not you've hired somebody that's supposed to be able to handle this, no matter whether or not you're getting the results that you want out of the people that you have, um, first in, last out and being willing to take on every single task and every single job. And, you know, all of this media work that we do is a, is a great example. You know, Chris and I both do this. Most of the time we do it together. Um, he's on an airplane right now, so that's not possible. Uh, mm. But, you know, we, we commit to doing these and taking these cycles because of the value that it provides our business and the communication that we get to have with the market and the education that we get to provide. And that means something really, really important to us. Um, but one thing that we don't do is we don't judge shows. So I don't look at podcast rankings. I don't look at download numbers. I don't look at any of that. We are absolutely unbiased when it comes to the shows. So as a, as a podcaster, you could have a million downloads an episode. I honestly, sitting here right now, I wouldn't know the difference. Or mm -hmm. you could be recording your second one that you've ever done ever. And, uh, you know, my team just happened to uh, connect with you and, 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 well, it's you know. actually, it's actually our third, but I didn't want to say anything, Joseph. There you go. No, I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> five so, years, five years into the show, five years into the show. And, and I've literally done, um, you know, after recording, people have literally told me, Hey, you know what, this is, this is our, you know, our second or third recording. We haven't even aired yet. Right. And we don't judge them because 
the minute that we start judging them, we lose our power in the space, I feel, right? The Explain minute- that, uh, Joseph. I find that a fascinating um, uh, mindset, and I'd certainly like you to share that with the listeners. Where does that come from? What, is, what do you mean that I might lose the power in the space if I judge the shows? Because what, what, I, what I see happening, I think, in the, in the world in general is this idea of we're judging things based on X or Y or Z. And then we're deciding whether or not they're good enough for us to participate in. And the fact of the matter is, is that what I am doing here, what Chris is doing here, what we are working towards with this media strategy is, A, public awareness for our company. Right? We're taking a company to market focused on really cool future technologies, um, and we're taking it to market in a way that's very, very unique, and there's a cool story to tell there, and that's a lot of fun. And so we want to take that message out, and we want people to hear it. And that means that we need to embrace big and small. The other side is, wouldn't it just not be awesome to judge a podcast and not do it and then have it be the one that somebody really impactful got inspired by or somebody really um, amazing uh, got connected with. And Mm. I just feel like our job in this vein of what we do and in this vein of hours that we spend is to educate and to inspire and to be as real as possible with people and if that's, list, if that's talking to three people in Ottawa, great. If that's talking to 350,000 people off, uh, around, around the U.S., great. Um, whatever that is, you know, the most impact that the Silk Road ever had had nothing to do with Silk. What traveled along the Silk Road was a religion. And that religion now has the largest following in the world. And that is because when you plant ideas along a road, they take root much, much, much long after the products are gone. Mm. And with the podcast world, of course, everything just stays there forever as legacy. So thank you for your insights around that, Joseph. Now, with that, um, I do want to spend just a couple of minutes on how you manage your team virtually. And you said, you know, you get what you inspect. But how do you lead this virtual team that would be some unique uh, insights for the listeners? And then we'll go into your holdings company. Sure. And I only have about 10 minutes left, just so you know. So we'll, we'll, we'll have to run through it. But um, number one is I inspect what I expect and I deliver on my deliverables. The minute that I miss a deadline, which I actually did last week, I missed a deadline. I had to send an email back to four of the team members and say, hey, guys, I missed this deadline. It was on me. My bad. And it was a deadline I didn't want to miss. Uh, for, for a thing. And so it, it does happen. But the minute that I miss a deadline, um, then we have this quandary, right? It's, is this okay? Is this how we're going to operate? Who else can miss deadlines, right? So there's this entire cascading effect, and it starts at the top. And so first and foremost, it, it starts with me, it starts with Chris, it starts with Cynthia. We have to show up at our meetings when we say we're going to show up. We have to show up for the podcast recordings when they, or, or media interviews or whatever they are, on time, ready to go, well-prepared um, at, at all times. That's the first step because leading by example, especially in remote work, is absolutely vital. Second to that, and just as important, is inspect what you expect. Where I see most failure in beginning management is in de- d- dictating tasks, saying, I need this and this done by this date, 
handing it off to somebody and then going on to the next and the next and the next thing and never actually coming back and saying, did we get this done? Did we make sure this got the attention it needed? Did it get the cycles that it needed? Did it get the input that it needed? Did we get the result that we were looking for? And if not, what result did we get? And missing that piece, either of those two pieces, uh, the personal accountability mm. of the upper management teams to show the team that they're serious and that they will show up every single time on time, no matter what. And hand in hand with that circle back of saying, hey, remember we gave this to you a week ago? Remember you accepted this deliverable? Where are we? Where does it stand? Did it get done? How can we help? What do you need? Um, those two things hand in hand provide a really safe ecosystem for people to come in and understand that deliverables that are uh, agreed to are going to be hit and also that they're going to have the support and the, the input and the resources to get those things done when they need them. Mm. You said something earlier um, around a leader paying somebody to solve a problem versus staying involved, and I think that's a critical uh, concept uh, for people who are listening to say that, you know, I just can't pass it off and acquiesce. I need to be still involved. I need to check in. And so, and this is not about micromanagement, is it, Joseph? No, this is about the difference between delegation and abdication, right? Absolutely. Delegation is, is working with somebody to get something done that they are going to do the primary workload or primary management of. Abdication is kicking that ball off to another person and hoping that they, you know, handle it. Well, thank you for that, Joseph. Now, two things. First of all, we're going to get into uh, your holdings. Give us the uh, two-minute version of blockchain and what La uh, Lannister Holdings is doing. Sure. So blockchain is a, an immutable ledger that is validated by a consensus algorithm. And so it is a way to immutably, permanently, in most cases, and that's up for discussion in the tech space at the moment, but to permanently store states of data um, in a chain of events that is essentially unhackable because all of the computers associated with that chain have to agree that that state has changed. And so it is a very, very secure way to store and analyze data. And with something called virtual machines um, on blockchains, you can write things that are called smart contracts, which are exactly like they sound. They are contracts. They are logic events or if and then sequences um, that are coded to say when this happens, XYZ happens. And so that allows a lot of financial applications, that allows a lot of trade applications, that allows a lot of logistics insight. We're seeing a lot of use cases around manufacturing and logistics, warehousing, Internet of Things, telecom, um, taxation, payments, P2P, all of these things can be um, and will be run on these new technologies and in a better, faster, more secure way. So that's very, very cool tech. We as Lannister Holdings were formed because we understand the industries that are being affected by this. We've been in risk management. We've been in real estate investment. We've been in different verticals of, of industry in the real world. We understand how this adds value to real world operations and that, we think, gives us a unique set of viewpoints on the subject. In addition to that, we see that blockchain is a core piece of Web 3.0. And Web 3.0 is the decentralization of the Internet, the decentralization of actions. And the tools that we see forming Web 3.0 are blockchain, 
as a data security and and contract system as a payment system, um, artificial intelligence for making determinations on what needs to happen when based on the data that's being provided, IoT, uh, Internet of Things, because as an IoT infrastructure compiles data, you can think of Swarm Robotics or you can think of IoT nodes in um, a wind farm, right, where every turbine is, pro is, is propagating mm -hmm. and compiling different data sets about operation and optimization and maintenance and all these kinds of things. And, um, and then cloud native or cloud hybrid applications, right? How does a human engage with these systems? Um, what is that user interface like? How does that leading edge device or that IoT handheld device that a warehouse employee is scanning a package with, how does that sync that data back in real time? And how do we take the correct actions with that to um, track things, to make sure things go to the right place, to take actions when maintenance needs to happen. There's a whole swarm of industrial applications and, and global touch that these groups of technologies are already impacting in, in huge ways. And um, we see that revolution. We know how to deploy that revolution. We have some of the world's top experts on these different pieces of technology. And so we formed Lannister Holdings specifically with the purpose of going public in the U.S. so that we could stand up and say, we are a regulated U.S. company. We already have to report our financials. We already have to, um, you know, work with the SEC on, on our filings. And we already have all of this regulation that we're responsible for. So we're not just a crypto company out there, you know, doing whatever. And, mm -hmm. and, um, and we really wanted that differentiating factor. And in addition to that, we really saw this as a truly scaled opportunity to grab a chunk of market share in a really explosive growth market. And that, in my opinion, is what you need if you're going to have stakeholders, if you're going to be a listed entity. Because the fiduciary responsibility is to take actions that um, grow that shareholder equity and grow that stakeholder value. And in order to do that, you need a blue ocean strategy. You need an industry that has explosive growth where um, you, can, you can attack pieces of it. And, you know, IBM projects that blockchain development alone, not all, not all Web3. Web3 is a much larger number when you figure IoT and AI and all these other pieces, cloud native, cloud hybrid infrastructure. Mm -hmm. um, but blockchain alone will go from $9.7 in um, investment into blockchains by industry and companies around the world in 2019 to 60, 66 billion in 2024. Those are stratospheric growth numbers in an industry that we happen to have experience in, that we know how these systems get built, that we build these things and deploy them. And so that led us to uh, executing a reverse merger in March, whereby we acquired a company called No Borders, uh, ticker symbol NBDR, Nancy Bravo Delta Robert, out. Um, that was in Nevada and merged with them. And so that way we became a listed company. So we are publicly traded right now uh, on the OTC market. You can go Google us and, and we're on there under NBDR. And, um, and then all of the things that go along with that. So we've been you know, very hard at work with our securities attorneys and our finance people and getting all of these things done and, mm -hmm. and getting rolling so that we can be current and, and move forward as a, as a publicly traded company. So that's been a grand adventure in and, in and of itself. But uh, you know, I Lannister, imagine we could have an entire show just on that. Uh, yeah, there's a, whole, <laughs> there's a whole adventure there. <clears throat> Joseph, what's your uh, website so that people could find out more about what you're doing? 
Yeah, so if people are looking to find out more about blockchain and Web3, it's LannisterDevelopment.com. And um, for the parent company for our, for our PubCo, it's LannisterHoldings.com. You can find us on Twitter, at LannisterNBDR, at LannisterDev. And uh, obviously, you know, we're, we're all over LinkedIn and Facebook. Uh, we're very socially active. So you can, and, and again, you can Google uh, our ticker symbol OTC and BDR. Well, 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 lots of stuff. Now, Joseph, um, just for the average person, you know, our, our listeners, our entrepreneurs, professional developers, how is blockchain going to affect my life? So move it away from the tech side to the application side. What's the difference from, you know, everybody's into cloud computing. We understand it. We, we get that now. But how is blockchain going to affect me? I would venture to say people don't actually get cloud computing most of the time yet. Um, that's, I think, coming. I think blockchain is a core technology. I like to kind of describe it as your cell phone. Um, your phone is something everybody has. We all understand how it works. We all can open the game Angry Birds. We can pull the little red bird back. We can let it fly forward. It can hit the green pig. We can all take that action. We all understand that sequence. Hardly anybody knows how those technologies actually work behind that screen, right? Mm. That's, your, that's your UI. That's your UX. That's the part of that that we build with the cloud solutions and the UI and the UX teams and all that. So most of it will be stuff that you see on a daily basis that you don't even know is running blockchain, right? When you go to Walmart today and you buy cold food, um, you know, there's a pretty good chance that that cold food was tracked from seed to source all the way through with Walmart's blockchain. And there's no sign that says that on your lettuce. So, you know, um, there's, there's an entire world of operations that we rely on and that we trust on a daily basis for our financial security, for our transactions, for our monetary transfers, for our housing, all of these systems and all these processes that will migrate to blockchains and ecosystems that utilize blockchain technologies for different layers of security or different layers of action or contract. Mm. Well, thank you for that, uh, Joseph. And I know that we could do another show, and you have a hard stop here in a minute or two. Any final comments or encouragement to the audience around leadership, entrepreneurship, or just general tips on success in life? You know, I just tell everybody all the time, take massive action. Just just go do anything. The, the moment that you take an action, the entire universe has to respond, <laughs> right? The ripples start. Having ideas, sitting down, thinking yourself to death at night or whatever those cases are, just stop and go take, an, go take an immediate action and then take another one after that. Action will get you somewhere. It may not be where you thought you were going to go. It never actually is. So stop thinking about where you want to go and just start taking action. Oh, I couldn't have said it better. Uh, Joseph, thanks for spending time with us here today. Thanks so much for having me. It was a great time. Well, man, I love your energy and all the best in that. SOS listeners, uh, take the insights. Joseph, you're going to have to listen to the show two or three times about entrepreneurship, leadership, and then this whole concept of blockchain and how it's going to change our lives in the background. You can get involved with that. Maybe it's a company you want to invest in. I'm not recommending. I can't do that publicly on a show, but just do, an, uh, do your own investigation about how Joseph might be able to serve you or connect with them and learn more. Thank you, SOS listeners, uh, for spending your most valuable commodity, which is your time. If you like what we're doing, share, pass it on, uh, let others know, leave a positive comment. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes.
thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.